All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. On the show today, we have a special guest, Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Um, Dr. Dunstan is an OBGYN uh, who lost an impressive 100 pounds and healed herself with natural treatments. She used to deliver babies. Now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Here are simple strategies to improve health, inspiring interviews and insights on a healthy life so that you can experience the freedom that living with optimal health brings. That was just a little bio from her, uh, from her podcast site, um, which is Her Brilliant Health Revolution. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. Um, Dr. Dunson, happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me, Toby. Great. Uh, Glad to be here. Absolutely. So tell me a little about kind of what what drove you down the path of like functional medicine. Sure. Yeah, I was a classically trained OBGYN and delivered many, many babies and did lots and lots of pap smears and worked with women on their health for many, many years and loved it for many years. However, there kind of came a point where I myself was not healthy. I weighed 243 pounds. I had something called fibromyalgia, which is where you have pain all over your body every day. I was tired all the time. I had depression and anxiety. My hair was falling out and I really looked and felt 20 years older than I was. And I noticed that all of my patients who were middle-aged women with the same problems, the treatments that I had been taught to use for them really weren't ever restoring them to vitality. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and get myself better. And so I really got to this very discouraged place because I would go to my internist and I'd say, there's got to be something wrong. I look at me, I'm obviously unhealthy. And she would yet again, run my tests, including thyroid and you know, at least 10 times. And she would just say, they're, they're normal, Kieran, your tests are fine. And I remember the last time I went there, she said, you know, just stop because there's nothing wrong. Your tests are fine. And I went home and I felt so demoralized. I thought there's obviously something wrong with me, but the tests say everything is normal, quote unquote. And so maybe I'm just crazy. And I'm doomed to be this way for the rest of my life. And I know patients oftentimes tell me exactly that story that they've been from doctor to doctor to doctor and had test after test after test and been told that everything's normal, there's nothing wrong, and they're clearly unhealthy. So that's what happened for me. And I just kind of was resigned to living, existing, not really living. And then I learned about this thing called functional medicine. And it was actually a patient who told me about it because she was dealing with the same middle-aged issues I was dealing with. We were doing the same, oh, here's a sleeping pill, here's an antidepressant, here's a birth control pill, right? It wasn't really restoring her to vitality. And she went away, she came back a year later. I saw her at the end of the hall and I knew something was immediately different about her. She looked diff completely different. And so I said, what have you been doing? You got to tell me because I know something's different. And she said, yeah, I, I'm all better now. And I have been restored to vitality. 
and um, you know, she had lost that extra 30 pounds, her energy, her skin was shining, her eyes were bright. Um, all her hormonal symptoms had gone away. And she said, I said, well, what did you do? She said, I went and saw this doctor who practices this thing called functional medicine. And I'm thinking, what is that? <laughs> you know, I board certified. I never heard of that. So I started becoming a voracious researcher and reader to figure out what is functional medicine? What can it do for me? If it did this for her, what can it do for me? What can it do for my other patients? And I just started learning everything I could about it, going to conferences. I eventually joined the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine Fellowship Program in Anti-Aging Metabolic and Functional Medicine and completed that. And at the beginning, I was just like Hansel and Gretel following the breadcrumb trail. I'd go to a conference. I'd learn about a test. I'd do it on myself. I'd read it the right way. Not, I wouldn't do the mainstream tests and read them for normal. I would read them for optimal function, which there's a difference. And then even though I had checked my thyroid at least 10 times and it was quote unquote normal, when I did the right thyroid test and I read them the right way, I had low thyroid. So I started addressing that naturally. And then found out I had progesterone deficiency, which in OBGYN, there's no standard of care for checking women's hormone levels, which is ridiculous. We check everything, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, but oh, when it comes to your hormones, we're not going to check those, right? Insanity. So I actually learned how to check those properly. I had progesterone deficiency. Then I discovered salivary cortisol and discovered I had a flatline cortisol. This is never checked in mainstream medicine. So it just went on like this, Toby, learning about tests that I never heard of. Here I am, board certified OBGYN. I'm supposed to know more about women's health than anybody else in the country. And there are tests that I was not trained in, was not trained to use, that I learned about in this fellowship that I attended. Um, and learned how to treat the body naturally using vitamins, nutrition, uh, my, vitamins, minerals, herbs, botanicals, homeopathics, energy medicine, all this huge toolbox. And so slowly but surely, I lost the weight. I got off the prescription medications. I had no anxiety, depression. My hair grew back. I looked and felt 20 years younger. And then that's all she wrote, because all my patients who are middle-aged women are like, what are you doing? We want that. So I started doing it with them. And this is over 10 years ago now. Started doing it with them. They had the same results. And in 2011, I just retired from OBGYN because there are lots of great docs who can do pap smears and deliver babies and do hysterectomies, and we need those. And there aren't as many unicorns like me who know how to get to the root cause of a woman's health problems and help her naturally move back to not only masking symptoms and getting rid of symptoms, but to move back towards vitality where she was in her 20s and 30s. And what, what do you think it was, you know, as far as the reason that you weren't informed of these different treatments or just this different approach to the body, you know, and say like, you know, your traditional medical school or training, you know, to become an OBGYN? Why do you think it was left out? Great question. I, I, there's a lot of politics in medicine. I don't think people realize that. I didn't realize it until I was in it. And then when I started learning from other doctors about 
these different tests and natural treatments, that was when I realized when I was getting out of line in the, the party line of mainstream medicine, then that's when I realized that there really is a, there's a lot of politics in medicine and you've got big medicine, big insurance, big pharma, big food. And so all of these kind of conspire in this um, profitable industry that profits off of people becoming and staying sick and staying on pharmaceuticals and staying going to the doctor all the time. So that's one of the main reasons. Um, you know, I don't fault most doctors because we're just doing what we were taught to do. Um, and they take bright, eager people who want to help people. That's why they go into medicine. I think the majority of physicians are very well intentioned. And then we learn all about how the body functions. And then we, in medical school, then we go to residency. And we're basically told, no, just do what I do because that's how we do it. And we do it because we want to be a good resident. And, and I'm not saying that pharmaceuticals and surgery don't have some benefit. They do, and I'm glad we have them. But they really have benefit in emergency conditions. But what's really we are suffering as a human race from are chronic medical conditions, right? And keeping someone on a diabetes and a high blood pressure medicine their whole life um, is really not cost effective and it's not promoting vitality. So managing health is different than promotion of vitality. So I think it's, it's, it's the, the political nature of it. There's um, the business nature, but I also think that, um, you know, decades ago with the advent of the double blind placebo controlled trial, that a lot of the toolbox of healing and healers was discarded because there are a lot of things that are not, that no one's going to pay to do a double blind placebo controlled trial, which is the gold standard of being a proven medical treatment. Uh, so there's nobody who's going to pay for it. Um, and then some things that you cannot subject to a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. Um, and that's a whole other topic that gets into quantum physics, um, because with the observer effect, what you when you actually observe an effect for a study, you're changing the outcome with quantum physics. And that has to do with looking at the energy body, which is really outside of mainstream medicine. So mainstream medicine really deals with the physical, concrete, Newtonian physics body, right? They don't have any acknowledgement that we have this whole other thing called an energy body that is measurable and that is approved by most insurances, right? Payment for acupuncture using the meridian system. And yet there's the rigorous nature of scientific inquiry into it hasn't been undertaken because of the whole issue of this is an energy system. It, it undergoes the, it's in the field of quantum physics and you change it by observing it and who's going to pay for it. So that's a very long answer to a short question, but it's a very complicated issue. Well, that's actually saying I was just uh, 
listening to in a podcast yesterday, and it it actually ties back into what you were saying about you know kind of the limited lab testing. It was basically uh, a podcast. They were talking about functional medicine and how you know trying to solve a very complex problem with you know which is the human body or very complex creatures, you know, with a very limited set of tools, you know, a few basic lab tests. It you know they were saying any you know uh, I think they're using the example of like an engineer or something you know who who would have a similar sort of problem, complex problem with very basic sort of you know poor set of tools they're going to just throw their hands up and say can't you know what can I do with this so I think it kind of speaks back to to what you're saying there what what do you think are you know some of the biggest culprits of what are creating these these chronic health issues within our society today great question well I'd say it's the inputs. So my simplistic framework that promotes healing is get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in and balance everything. That's my completely simplistic framework. We have too much bad stuff coming in and it's not getting out. So toxicity is just, we are rampant with toxicity coming into our bodies, right? So a hundred years ago, there were only a few hundred chemicals in the environment, but since the industrial revolution, over 85,000 new chemicals have been introduced into the environment. And our capacity to, when we take these things in through our water, our food, the chemicals that we put on our body, the chemicals that we clean our homes with, the chemicals that are off-gassed from our new automobiles or our new homes, right? So they're everywhere, we're inundated in it. Our body only has a limited capacity to get rid of chemicals. And, and before these chemicals are approved and said by the government that they are safe for human use, um, they're put through very poor tests, usually in animals, and they create or f discover something called the lethal dose 50. Like what's the dose that will kill half or 50% of the rats, right? That's how they say what a toxic level is. But the problem is nobody actually looks at humans and nobody looks at the multiplicative effect of these chemicals when they get in there with each other. The average person has traces of 400 toxic chemicals in his or her body. Nobody's looking at well, if we take these 400 chemicals at these small levels and put them in rats or even in humans, what is the effect? Is there an increased risk of cancer? Is there increased risk of heart attack, of dementia, all these things? Nobody's looking at that. And also if, if lethal dose is all we're concerned about, like is it gonna make you drop dead right away? Yes, that's concerning. But what nobody's looking at is, over 50 years of drinking water from this source that is contaminated with certain heavy metals and certain volatile organic compounds and petroleum waste and all the things that go into our water system, what is the effect? Um, and so nobody's looking at the slow death, the chronic diseases, the issues. And, and that really is the big problem. Um, 
toxins. And then it's also not only chemical toxins, but it's uh, infectious toxins. So it's the chronic viral infections that we don't have answers for, right? Everybody's worried about coronavirus because it has a rapid onset and high death rate, high uh, infectivity rate. Um, and there are chronic viral infections that can cause a great deal of disability and contribute to, for instance, autoimmune diseases and the dysfunction of the immune system that can lead us to autoimmune diseases and cancers, right? Like Epstein-Barr virus is just pretty much everyone has it. And so if it's reactivated, in the, it can cause problems with the immune system. So nobody's really looking at that. So there are chronic infections like Lyme disease, so bacterial infections, viral infections. Um, and so these things really need to be looked at and are a big part of the problem. So too many bad things in the body that can't get out. I'd say that's the biggest issue why we have these chronic health problems. And then the whole issue of stress just can't be overemphasized. Um, our cortisol, which most doctors don't talk to their patients about their cortisol stress hormone, um, or they just say, well, you need to de-stress, go on vacation or some other instruction that really mitigates the severity of this. I mean, I really have people do a four-point salivary cortisol. Like for me, this was vital. When I went on my journey, I had never heard of salivary cortisol, right? NASA uses it in its astronauts to see how healthy they are. Well, why aren't we as important as NASA's astronauts and do a four-point salivary cortisol where we collect saliva morning, noon, afternoon, midnight, we get a curve, right? And we see how we're doing. Um, because this determines everything, our weight, our sleep-wake cycle, our energy, and mostly how our immune system functions or does not function. Meaning, are we gonna get cancer? Are we gonna get an autoimmune disease? Are we gonna get coronavirus? And if we get coronavirus, are we gonna be more likely to die from it? These are the things we really should be looking at and asking. And then if there's a problem with the cortisol, we need to be educating people on not just platitudes about quote unquote stress management, but really what, how does your body create cortisol? What building blocks does it need? How do you remediate your cortisol? Because I have yet to see a person in an adult in 2020 who has a normal cortisol. It just doesn't exist because we are under so much electromagnetic stress, chemical stress, biologic stress, psychosocial stress. We have so many stressors, right? Um, well, our cortisols are all wonky. And so I think the main reason why we have this huge burden of chronic disease is too much bad stuff in, not enough bad stuff out, and everything's not balanced. And the other thing I should say bad stuff in is our diet. That should have been the first thing I said. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I was actually going to go right there anyways. Um, so tell me, I mean, I'm curious because obviously there's the always sort of the different diet camps as far as like paleo keto you know vegan vegetarian do you do you fall into one of those or do you do you find that a mixture uh, of different diets works best or is it 
individualized based on genetics. How do you how do you kind of go about approaching mm-hmm. uh, uh, advising you know a patient what to eat? So. Yeah, there are a lot of faddish diets. And what I will say is that there are a lot of medicinal purposes for extreme diets for specific purposes in specific people for a specific period of time. But a lot of these ways of eating that have developed where people say it's a panacea for everyone always, forever and ever, that's really a fallacy, right? The human, you have to go back to biochemistry and how the body functions, right? So I was on a podcast recently where the woman has a vegan eating program. She was not happy with me that I said that, yes, vegan can be a great medicinal diet for specific people for a specific period of time for a specific purpose, but for a life strategy of lifelong, it is not a sustainable strategy. We were not made to be vegan, right? We don't, we have teeth to be carnivores and our body needs certain things it has to get from meat. So she didn't like that, but that's just, you know, we can say, oh, we want to have no sleep, right? We want to have no sleep. We're going to live with no sleep. We don't need sleep. The body doesn't care what you decide to say for a political ideology. It needs what it needs, right? It has to have sleep to function optimally. So you can eat a vegan diet. And like I said, it has a, it's a great diet in specific people for a specific period of time for specific purposes. The body doesn't care that you decide you want to be vegan. It still wants meat, right? So you're going to suffer the consequences of every choice you make. People get mad at me for that, but it's just the fact, right? You just, your body needs what it needs. Like if you decided I don't need sunlight, right? Your body's not going to do well um, because it needs sunlight. You have specific receptors in your eyes and in your brain that get the signals from daylight to know it's diurnal variation. It helps to regulate your hormones, right? Your, your own melatonin, your cortisol, all of these things. So having said that, at times I will use a paleo diet for people. Sometimes I'll do a modified paleo because a lot of paleo, they don't like legumes, but a lot of people do really well with legumes. I will, ketogenic is essential for pretty much all weight loss. Um, and so if you want to lose fat. So in the process of your body burning fat, you create these things called ketones. So de facto weight loss is a keto diet period, right? So a lot of people don't understand that. So they think that it's something different. Um, but your body makes ketones when you burn fat. So any fat burning diet is going to be a keto diet. You can do paleo as a keto diet. You can do modified paleo as a keto diet. So vegetarian, vegan, you know, these are all tools to use. Um, in general, we do eat way too much meat as a society, right? And so I am a proponent of, for in general, if I had to make a general statement, a whole food plant-based diet with meat as an, a 
uh, an accompaniment, like as a side, right? Not meat and then all these other things as a side. It seems like with, with meat, there's also like, there's, there's not really always the separation between, you know, some cheap industrially raised, you know, animal that has been pumped full of antibiotics versus, you know, a grass fed, pasture raised, you know, very healthy animal that's going to have a completely different nutrient profile and probably different biological effects. Do you, do you feel like that's accounted for in the research or? Not necessarily. Um, I think the research definitely says that um, eating grass-fed, not grain-fed, not corn-fed, antibiotic-free, hormone-free, pasture-raised um, meat and sustainable fish, wild-caught, is healthiest for the body. Um, but this is where big food kind of gets in the way of real health because you know there's a great movie called King Corn that really talks about the use of corn and how when you eat a steak you're really eating corn because they're fed corn <laughs> and the use of high fructose corn syrup and really this battle between um, the, the food industry will totally negate what the studies say about high fructose corn syrup. Um, and they'll run their own studies, which you can create a study to basically show whatever you want. And you can create the statistics on that study to say whatever you want. And so they have done this and they have come up with studies that say that it's not harmful. It doesn't promote obesity in children or adults. Um, and so then who are you gonna believe? Well, people, the general public is gonna believe whoever Madison Avenue convinces is telling the truth. And so they have a big advertising budget, um, you know, soda companies that promote things like high fructose corn syrup. And so the average person thinks that, like my kids used to say to me when they were little, but mom, they wouldn't allow it if it weren't healthy for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I think the average person really believes that, that, that they are being protected, their interests are being protected. And what they aren't realizing is that we live in a capitalist society that isn't, and everybody's interest is not always the same as yours. And what some people see as ethical, you might disagree with if you really ask the questions, but they're not asking those questions and they've just abdicated responsibility. But you know, food has really become a war zone in in our country. I mean, worldwide, really. Um, and I saw this wonderful series on Netflix um, where they were talking about avocados. Did you see it? Was it called Green Gold or something like that? I don't think. Anyway, well, it, it's really good, and it's talking about the politicalization of food and the the episodes on avocados were particularly enlightening uh so you got to check it out um and anybody listening definitely want to check it out um but there's so many good movies that really go into these issues you know the one about the bees um about where have all the bees gone 
King Corn, um, that series on Netflix. There's another series on Netflix about the history of food in America, of big food, which is really great. And they go into how, you know, Kellogg started, how Post Cereal started, how Hershey started, how the big food conglomerate started, and really what their purposes have been. And how they've contributed to the chronic diseases that we have, the inflammation, diabetes, the high blood sugar, and the high cancer rates and the conditions that we're suffering with. You know, 200 years ago, there really was no such thing as orange juice for breakfast, right? We take it for granted that orange juice is for breakfast. But what's happened is that what we come to mean breakfast really is a carb fest. And that really sets our blood sugar up really high, promotes diabetes, inflammation, which contributes to all chronic disease. Um, and so it was um, an advertiser who was selling sun-kissed oranges and they had too many oranges more than they could sell. So he came up with this juice press, which they sold people. So then they could sell more oranges because they would use more oranges to make orange juice. Um, but what's happening is you're taking all the fiber out of the oranges and you're compressing all the sugar into this very concentrated amount. So, you know, we still, everyone could probably tell you orange juice, it's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> you know, everybody knows that ad because it's been drilled into us but nobody ever stopped to think about what are we doing? Wow, we are mega dosing ourselves with sugar first thing in the morning. <laughs> well, what's that doing to our cortisol hormone, our stress hormone, totally knocking it out of balance for the rest of the day. Right. That affects our insulin, our thyroid, our sex hormones. It affects everything in the body. So, you know, getting back to the food, which is a, a huge question, um, that really is the biggest input into causing our chronic diseases because we little, literally are what we eat. We take in food, break it down into its building box, then we reassemble them into us. Voila, I've taken the external world and turned it into me. So when you look at me, you're looking at everything that I've eaten. But that means that if I've eaten junk, low nutrient dense, high sugar foods, I'm inflamed, I'm overweight, I'm diabetic, I have high blood pressure, I have high cholesterol that's inflamed, my arteries are inflamed, my brain is inflamed, I'm more likely to get dementia and have all of these problems. So food is huge. I wanted to ask your opinion on, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Stephen Gundry's work, uh, he wrote the book, The Plant Paradox, talking about like lectins and nightshades. I was just curious because, you know, we hear so much about, you know, this sort of plant-based diet. And then he's kind of one of the few coming in who's like, well, some plants, you know, might actually be sort of toxic. Do you have, do you take a side on that? Have you, have you read much about his work? I, I know about it. And I, like I mentioned earlier that, some people say poo-poo lectins, which come from beans and say that that's problematic. It increases gut permeability and leaky gut. Um, you know, if you put a microscope on, onto anything, you could find a problem with it and you can find benefits for it. And 
you know, things that are great benefit to people sell and things that are really scary and horrific sell. So having said that, if there's not a lot new to be said about diet and people are trying to find the next new thing, um, you can put a microscope on something and you can say, this is horrible. You know, I don't think back in the stone age, people were criticized, you know, that people didn't have a problem with leaky gut. So I don't see in my patients that beans and lectins from beans are a huge problem with leaky gut. You know, sometimes if a patient seems to have a problem with them in particular, that patient, I may take them off them for a while and then put them back. But, you know, the problem is that you can list things about any food that could be problematic. It causes too much histamine release. It causes, it has lectins that cause leaky gut. It has too high sugar, which goes for a lot of fruits, right? So you can, the list is very long. And this is why you get all these different diets, including specific carbohydrate diet and FODMAP diets. And, you know, the list of diets is very long. But when you've got someone who's sick, like when women come to me, and I have this one woman and she has a horrible histamine problem. Well, if you look at the low histamine diet, well, what do you eat? <laughs> you know? It's, I'd much rather her get the soda with the high fructose corn syrup and artificial coloring and flavorings and carbonated water off her diet than avocados, which are high histamine foods. You know, it becomes this risk benefit ratio because there's so many foods that can be problematic. If you take them all away, I literally see people who say there are nine things that I can eat based on all the doctors I've seen so far. Because doctors are just like, no, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. You can't eat that. And we've weaponized food, you know, and my whole goal when I work with someone is to look at where the imbalances are, look at what's the bad stuff that's in, the toxicities we gotta get out, get the good stuff in, balance everything, and restore that person's connection to their own knowing of what they should eat and not eat. When are they hungry? How hungry are they? How much do they need to eat? What resonates? Because we've been so, disengaged from our food sources, right? I grew up in a city. I, you know, I don't know farming. I never had to watch an animal being slaughtered. So I've been very disconnected from my food, but thank goodness my mom grew up on a farm, even though she moved to the city. And so she helped, she really had that innate sense of being connected to the food and you know, I grew up in Manhattan, but she was really good friends with Gary Null, who's a big, prolific writer in this space and been um, an activist since I was a kid in the 70s. And so she was all about natural foods and er healing the body with herbs and that the body knows how to heal itself. You just need to know what to give it, including how to eat, how to listen to your appetite. You know, of course, I went off to medical school and told her, mom, we heal with steel. I thought I knew better than her, right? But then I, when I drove my own health into the ground, she never said, I told you so. But then I learned that what she had initially tried to teach me, that all the seeds had been planted. And then when I came back to functional medicine, I was like, wow, she was right. Um, 
so with the food issue, it's got to be very individualized. I am not going to get on the bandwagon. Lectins and beans are bad. I'm not. Le beans are fabulous source of protein, fabulous and nutrients. There are powerhouses. And so now in some people, might they have to medicinally not use them for a little while? Possibly. But I find for the vast majority of people, when you get all this other crap, like, you know, we're just not looking at the fact that they're, you know, using volatile VOC artificial fragrance in their car and inhaling it every day for 45 minutes on the way to work and on the way home. But we want them to get off beans? Like, really? <laughs> It's just kind of insane. So, um, but controversy attracts attention. So, and actually, you know, with with the controversy, I feel like you know it causes people to kind of sometimes like throw their hands up in the air and be like, they just they don't know what to to listen to. And it's like, you know, as we've sort of talked about, there's all of these different, you know, oftentimes political motives, you know fueling each of these different kind of uh you know food strategies if you will and even some of these documentaries i mean i i don't know how much truth there is to this i haven't looked into it enough but you know just okay well who's funding you know the documentaries about you know criticizing you know uh eating animals or you know how how do you how do you sort of suggest like the general public like how can you sort of tease out what is fact and what's fiction when it comes to nutrition? That is a great question. Um, and what I tell people is that, you know, gone are the days where you can abdicate responsibility of your, for your health to a doctor. They're gone, right? Because you have to accept right out and know that there is an, a hidden agenda that the person you're talking to may not even be aware of. That just comes by way of their training and their industry and how they're paid. It's just a fact when it comes to your health. Um, and so you're going to have to educate yourself, just like you've got to educate yourself about your finances and what are good investments, what aren't good investments. You gotta get it, your tax attorney, to um you know help counsel you you know you have to educate yourself about nutrition and about food at least the basics and then i recommend that you find people who seek to educate you not tell you what to do in a paternalistic way that's what i do is i always say i want to educate you about this these are my thoughts and this is what i've learned you can you know go read these things um and i tell people all the time this is what i do this is what i wouldn't do um and i i do have some patients who want to be vegan and that's fine then i figure out how to help them to navigate that um so you got to find people who seek to educate you not tell you what to do because they think it's best. That's what I would say. And would you say that like a big part of your education, especially recently, like, you know, with, with the podcast that you do, um, her brilliant health revolution, you're, you're, it looks like you're talking to all of these, you know, really 
you know, great experts in, in all sorts of different fields related to sort of functional medicine. How much does that help you sort of build up your skill set and knowledge of all this different stuff? It's been tremendous. I mean, we just passed episode 100 and it's been amazing. I've had wonderful guests just who are a wealth of information and what people don't realize is they're they're going to their doctor's office and they think they're getting the majority of people think they're getting all the answers they need there. Oh, I don't need to listen to a podcast. Oh, I don't need and what they don't realize is that if they're not listening to podcasts like mine, like yours, and like so many others out there. There are a lot of phenomenal podcasts. You're basically missing out on the truth about your health and signing up for chronic disease and probably dying earlier than you should. And your health really is your greatest investment because there's certain health problems that you can have that once you have them, no amount of money will save you, right? But if your house catches on fire and burns down to the ground, it can always be rebuilt with some amount of money, right? It's a recoupable asset. Your body is not a recoupable asset, but we treat it, most, the majority of people, which su such almost contempt and disdain, like, oh, it knows what to do. I don't need to do anything for it. And my doctor is going to tell me what to do and take care of it. But if, if you, you know, I, I find invariably that when I talk to someone about these things, about that wow you know your health is like a tree and that mainstream medicine is working on the leaves you go to the dermatologist when you got problems with these leaves on this branch and you go to the gastroenterologist when you have irritable bowel and you got problems on this branch but in functional medicine we go down the trunk to the roots in the ground hmm, hormone balance wow you got all these hormone imbalances toxicities you got all these toxins in your body your doctor's not telling you to get rid of Wow, you've got all these nutrient deficiencies nobody's talking to you about. Wow, your energy body is really having issues no one's talking about. When we go down here in the roots, you fix everything up in the leaves. And I find that when any sane person hears that and they get, wow, I go to the dermatologist, I got a skin problem. I think it's only about my skin. I get a steroid cream for that rash. And then I go to the gastroenterologist and I have irritable bowel which is really a crazy diagnosis because does your bowel really get irritable? And they don't have any answers for me and they just want to give me a medicine to control the symptom. Wow, nobody said to me, hey, that skin rash you have is related to that gut problem you have. And guess what? They're both related to that depression and anxiety you have that you were put on an SSRI for. So why don't we go down to the roots, fix the roots, and then guess what? No skin problem no anxiety, no depression, no irritable bowel, no drugs needed, all better. Like you explain this to people and you explain the difference. I've never had a person go, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want that. Everyone is like, what? Why didn't anyone tell me? And they feel betrayed, absolutely betrayed by the medical establishment and by their doctors. Why didn't my doctor tell me is always the answer. And then I have to explain to them, don't blame your doctor. I didn't know what I didn't know. 
like Oprah says, when you know better, you do better. So now I know better. And there are hundreds of thousands of doctors like me worldwide who know better. So we do better. Um, they want it. You, you explain this and in within a couple minutes, everyone's like, I want that. So, um, yeah. Right on. Well, well said. Well, Dr. Dunson, if uh, people, you know, want to learn more about your work or just connect with you, where would you direct them to? Sure. They can find out more about me on my website. I'll spell it is www.kirin, K-Y-R-I-N, and then it's Dunstan, D-U-N-S-T-O-N, and then MD.com. They can also go there and download. I made a an essential self-care for brilliant health uh, when the pandemic started. So you've got my tools and tricks that you can use now to start boosting your immune system so that it can be in tip-top shape. So Awesome. Great. And yeah. if you guys enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we're Roscoe's Wetsuit. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And go ahead and also check out our Instagram account. We are Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. Dr. Dunstan, again, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Toby. Absolutely.